at 6 p.m. Men are invited to the stew while our students are invited to the gym for football, food, and tons of fun. And you know our student minister, Ray Brewer, always has something to say. So let's hand it over to him for more on what's happening this weekend. Hey everybody, and welcome back. It's Ray again, but we're not in the stew. But I do still have some stew information, starting with daddy-daughter date night. That is tomorrow night, Friday night. Doors open at 6 o'clock. And if you haven't already signed up, that's okay. Please come to the door and let us serve you. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for you and your daughters, and it's just going to be great. And remember, all proceeds go towards our mission trip to Guatemala coming up over spring break. But that's not all. If I have to remind you, the remind, if I had to remind you, the Super Bowl is this weekend, and the Super Bowl party is happening over in the gym. There's going to be food, games, drinks, and well, the game, the big game. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for everybody to come in and just have an awesome time. But again, if you forgot every single thing I just said, please sign up for the remind. That's how we let everybody know. And remember, if you're riding your bike tonight, please wear white. Bye. Thanks, Ray. Pathways is our on-ramp to total connection to the community of Change Lives here on the Hill. Next Pathways is scheduled for February 21st. We want you to know about an exciting new ministry providing help for the widows of our community, Heart to Heart. For more information, you can contact Doug Taylor at the information below. As always, you can stay in the know by visiting our website, shelbychristian.org. Here's something really super. Lives are being changed, and what a joy it is to celebrate another baptism. Amen. How you doing, church family? So good that you're here in the house of the Lord. Will you stand to your feet with us? I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've heard about just what's happening just down the road from us in Wilmore, Kentucky, but God is doing something awesome in Asbury, and that's so great to see, and I hope maybe you all uh, can actually go down there and visit this week because God is pouring out His Spirit in that place, and not only in that place, but in other places, in other colleges. He's moving in the youth of the nation of of the USA. But not only that, but he's also moving right here in the hearts of Shelbyville. Amen. Let's sing to God this morning. Lift him up. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So oh. 
February. A lot of us are celebrating holiday in a couple days, right? Valentine's Day. And, you know, we, maybe as couples, those that are married, those that are dating, but like the more we get to know that person, that special someone, the more we love them. The more we dig in and find out like how they work, the more we love them. And you know, we are created to worship. You believe that this morning? We were created to worship. Sometimes we worship His creations, God's creation. Sometimes we worship the things of this world that captivate us. Some good, some not so good. You know, the player can worship the game sometimes. The outdoorsman, I don't know if there's any outdoorsmen in the in the room, but sometimes we can worship the creation outdoors. Just a few weeks ago, I got to go and hike um, down there in uh, Red River Gorge, and it was beautiful. And I think about just, I just took it all in. It was, it was wonderful to see God's creation, but sometimes we can worship things that were not made to be created. God 
himself was made to be created. Amen. And he wants our hearts to be tuned into him for what he's done. But today we get to celebrate in just a little while what he did when he sent his son Jesus. Amen. Pay pay for our sins. He died on the cross. He suffered an agonizing death for us. But today we we can just continue our worship in our giving and knowing that God paid that price. What a Savior He is. And there's some tables that are down front. There's tables on the side. Our offering boxes are on the side and in the back. Let's take a moment to just continue our worship, not just in our, our words and in our song, but in our whole life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We just come before You We pray that we have humble hearts. That we would have meek spirits. And that we would continue to seek you in your word. Get to know you, Father. And as we get to know you and learn more about you, our praise and our worship rises up within us. So, Father, we thank you for the the awesome gift. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did. You paid the price for us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Will you come?
Father, we thank you. You're the rock of ages. We call on you, Lord. You are the same. You don't change. You don't change. You're forever the same, and you will never be. God, we love you, and we worship you in this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated.
when your worship band can pull it off better than the soundtrack. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. Like, man, where were you guys Thursday night? Thursday night, we needed that thing bumping, and it was like, it was like weak, but that's the way it's supposed to be, because that's the way we're supposed to come to worship, right? That's the way we're supposed to come to worship. Uh, Okay, four of us are going to do that. That's the way we're supposed to come is with some, like, this is big stuff. This is big. Forget Super Bowl Sunday. This is super out of the grave Sunday, right? This is big, big, big stuff. I hear there's a big game today. I hear there's a big game. Everybody making a big deal about a big game. By the way, if you guys are, any of you men in here that are over the age of 18, We've got a little event going on today at 6 o'clock over in the stew. I'm just saying that teenagers think they've got something going on in the, in the gym, and they do. It'll be, but man, come on, guys. Come on. It's 6 o'clock tonight, three big screens, plenty of room. We've got cornhole. We've got ping pong. We've got foosball. We got it. So come on. Come hang out with some guys. It, will, it may be the first sober Super Bowl party some of you have ever been to. <laughs> and, and it'll still be fun. And it'll still be fun. So I encourage you, uh, come and join us at 6 o'clock tonight. If you've got middle school, high school, college kids, send them, send them to, to Ray's Lane Party in the gym, right? <laughs> no, but it, it, man, it, it'll, be, it'll be cool. Be here for that. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, the whole world's watching. I think it's really cool, like what Stu was saying. The whole world's watching a lot right now. Whole world's, whole world's watching some stuff going on in Kentucky right now. And I think what's going on just less than an hour down the road is really cool. I mean, nobody loves to worship more than I do. I love it. But there is going to, stay with me, stay with me. There is going to come a time when we need to leave the ivory palace of worship and hit the streets with the gospel. And there may be a worship revival going on down the road, but I, I'm watching a revival here and people getting baptized every week. That's revival. That's life change, all right? And so let's just get into it everywhere we get into it, but let's not just sit back. You know, part of, part of going to a really cool, like, worship thing, that, I mean, it's cool. I love it. I love it. It's like going to a concert. It's also like going to the circus and watching the lion tamer in there with the lions, but never wanting to get in with the lions yourself. Just saying. It's time to get in with the lions. It's time to hit the streets with the message. That's part of why I love this message today. I love this message today. And it's how cool is it that when we planned, we planned these series like months and months in advance, okay? And, then, and so then we planned like what days, certain things. And like we knew months ago, months ago, that we were going to be preaching this weekend on the Church of Philadelphia. There are some people with Eagles gear that would have loved to have known that or been able to connect that stuff. Like that is only, that, that's just too cool a thing. And so I'm thinking about this whole deal. I'm thinking about, and then I start thinking about, because th- what we're going to study about here, it's, it's a rocky kind of story. Not rocky as in rough, but like rocky as in win, victorious kind of story. Because in this whole series that we've been talking about, uh, this is the church. This is the church that kind of won. But now, I got, I got to know, I asked Thursday night, I was kind of amazed at how many of you, of you have never seen a single Rocky movie and are not afraid to admit it? All right, dear Lord Jesus, please help me. 
All right, for those of you who have not, let me do a real quick Reader's Digest catch-up of Rocky, okay? Rocky is this guy from Philadelphia, okay? He works at a meat processing plant. He's this guy. He's a street fighter. He's kind of a bum in that world. But through a series of really bizarre, only, you know, kind of pulled-off events, he gets an opportunity to fight Apollo Creed for the World Championship Boxing Belt, okay? And so the Rocky won. There's all this training, and he's going through all this stuff, and 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 you get you know you get you get behind him and you get feel like yeah the underdog this he's gonna do this and he's gonna, and then it gets to the end of the movie and it gets to the big the big match and the big fight and it is it is a fight to to match all fights I mean it, it's incredible but Rocky loses and there's a part of it that you're leaving the theater going well that sucked like. <laughs> That wasn't what I was expecting, you know? And, and so, so but, but then you got to think Hollywood. All that means is sequel, all right? And so, sure enough, not too long, Rocky II. And, and, and the whole premise behind Rocky II is that, yeah, Rocky's beaten and bloody and bruised and he didn't win. And Apollo Creed did win, but he's kind of, he's kind of, I don't know, it seems like a hollow victory to him. He says, you know, he's kind of upset that he, that he almost got beat by this, as he called him, this big palooka. Uh, and so he, they set up this rematch. And, and Rocky's like, yeah, okay. But Rocky's married. And this wonderful lady, Adrian, says, I don't want you to fight. I don't want you to fight. Every guy in the room just went... Because, right? like, he doesn't... But here's the other twist. She's pregnant now with their first child. And so she doesn't want him to fight, get beaten, maybe get killed. So that's reasonable and everything. So Rocky, though, he wants to fight, and he agrees to fight, except he doesn't let her know early. So he's like training off on the, like he's like undercover training and stuff like that. And he's not putting as much into it. Adrian's got a brother named Polly. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. All right, here, I'll just do this. Not yet. Um, we'll, we'll get, Adrian's got this brother, Polly. Okay. Polly is like your brother-in-law that you love to hate, you know, like, and he's got a big mouth and a lot of, but so. Polly keeps telling Rocky, look, dude, you're, you're not going to like, you're not doing it. You're going to get killed. And so then Polly decides he's going to take it upon himself. He's going to go see his sis. She's at work. She's at work at the store. And he goes and confronts her and like, you're going to get your husband. You're going to get Rocky killed because you're not letting him train like he needs to train. And you're not letting him chase his dream. All right. And, and so through all this stress and pressure of this confrontation, Adrian passes out, she goes into labor, and she has the baby cube, boom, all right? And, uh, uh, cube, boom. And anyway, so she has this baby that has got more hair than I've had in my entire lifetime. I mean, she gave birth to a teenager. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and so there's this really cool scene the next morning when they wake up, and, and Rocky's in the room with her, and he's like, oh, yo, Adrian, you know, what, what can I do for you? And she says, come here. And he leans over, and it's the greatest, it's the greatest one word line in movie history. He leans into her and she says, when? 
win. Come on, dudes in the room. If your wife tells you win, it's on, right? And so, like, he hits the streets, and he starts training like he used to, like, just hard, like, on the streets, training, lifting in these old dingy gyms. And then he's, and he's out running, you know? And there's that scene, part of which we saw on the, on the video clip that was playing when I came up. But there's this scene where he starts running through the streets, and... <laughs> He starts running through the streets, and there's a few people following him. And then by the time they get to the, ca- uh, the steps, of the, that's almost there, but they get to the museum steps, and he's going up the steps, and there's all these kids. And he gets to the time, that's that scene that some of you have seen before, where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's the fight. They go to the fight. And it is just another classic. They're back and forth. There's times when they knock each other down. They're beaten and bloody and bruised. But then in the end, in the end, Rocky stands in the center of the ring, the belt around his waist, hands lifted high. The champion. The champion. He overcame all kinds of odds and obstacles. And this little nothing guy who's a meat processor, uh, beating on beefs in the, in the freezer room, wins the world title. Now, I, I, I get it. It's, it's a movie. Now, it, it's kind of loosely tied to some, some real life situations. But a lot of us, a lot of us have had moments, maybe you're in one right now, where you feel a lot like Rocky. Not the victorious Rocky, the Rocky working in the meat room, banging on beef, not ever getting a chance to follow your dream, not ever getting a chance to be successful, not ever getting a chance to do what you think you were called to do because of all these circumstances that are around you in life. And so it's, it's been a hard, hard life. And then you get that opportunity. Are you going to be ready for the moment? In this series, we've been talking about churches. And there are times, and we've been talking about it here, is that there are times when a wave of opportunity comes to a group of believers to ride a wave and to make a difference in their community and an impact in the kingdom, and we've got to be ready for the wave. In this series that we've been looking at these seven churches that are in the beginning of the book of Revelation that Jesus is having his buddy John write these letters to, to either commend them or to correct them. And, it, and this is the sixth church. It's the church at Philadelphia. And this sixth church is a little bit different than all the others because the others have had like at least like a little bit of stuff that they were doing right, but more stuff that they needed to fix. And so we said that the the title of our series came from the idea of it's up to us. It's up to us to look at a situation like these churches. It's up to us to look at what is good and what is bad, and it's up to us to do what is good and not do what is bad, right? Well, here's, here's the twist when we get to Philadelphia. There's nothing bad. Not for the church. The city of Philadelphia's got some stuff that we're going to talk about, but the church is overcoming in the midst of all these odds. Now, we've been telling you a little bit about where, where these churches are, but here's what, I want to, here's what I'm going to start you with today. This is something that is, this is tweetable, okay? So you might get ready to write or take a picture, because this is worthy of it, because here's, here's what we've got to understand. Following a dream is never easy. If it is, the dream isn't big enough. Following a dream is never easy. If it is, you didn't dream big enough. 
you didn't dream big enough, or you didn't recast the next dream after you accomplished what you were dreaming for to keep moving forward. So the, the Jewish nation, they had dreamed for a Messiah for centuries, right? They had been dreaming. They then, even before, even before they ended up in bondage and all this stuff, they were like looking for this Messiah to come. And, and it wasn't easy. They, they were slaves at times. They were just struggling. It wasn't easy. But then the Messiah came, and life still wasn't easy. I mean, from his very birth, he has to be born in a stable and, 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 and laid in this little manger to then growing up and somewhere in his life, uh, somewhere between the ages of 12 and 30, he loses his dad. And I say it's in there because we know we see him at, at 12 in the temple with his parents and he's speaking to his dad. And then next time we really hear him more about Jesus, he's 30 now, ministry starting and Joseph is no longer in the picture anywhere. So something happened in there, and that's traumatic for, for a guy to lose his dad and, and grow up without that. And, and, and then he starts actually teaching, and, and that wasn't easy because he wasn't really ready to start teaching, but mom kind of outed him at this wedding. You know, they're at this wedding, and all of a sudden they run out of wine, and she's like, no problem, my son can take care of it. He's like, mama, mama, step a little bit. And so then now, he, now it's out that Jesus can perform these miracles, and then he starts healing some people, and then it's really on, because like anybody that's got somebody in their life that's blind, deaf, lame, whatever, they want to bring him to Jesus, and so he's doing that all the time, and, 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 and is developing an audience, he's developing a following, he's developing a fan base, and all of a sudden... The, the, the Roman authority and the Jewish authorities, they don't like that at all. So they start trying to figure out how to take him out, how to sweep the leg and how to take him out completely from the situation. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus was dealing with. It, it wasn't easy, but it had to be done. It wasn't easy for those that were trying to follow him, but, but it had to be done. But the church at Philadelphia had done well. And we're just about finished with this series, and this is the sixth church, like I said. And if we look again at this map of, of Western Turkey, of, of Western Asia Minor, it's the seventh church, and it's the most inland of the churches. Now, this map might be a little bit off, but it's kind of, it's pretty close. That Philadelphia, you see, is pretty far inland. It was developed, the, the interesting thing is the whole town of Philadelphia was started by the people of the town of Pergamos. That They started this kind of build up, okay, you guys go be the blockade. Don't let anybody get to us. Because for, us, for the people, the way they would have traveled, for them to get up here, they would have had to go through here. You guys stop them on the way. All right, thanks. Good. And that, that was kind of their role in life was to, to be that. And they had done pretty well with that. They had done pretty well. But it was hard to make much go on there because, as you can see, it's considerable way away from the Mediterranean. There's no rivers flowing by. Water was the way of commerce in that day and time. And so Philadelphia is just kind of out there as this kind of gateway to the rest of Asia. It's really kind of interesting that this church did well and Jesus commended it so well for being what it was because Jesus was the gateway. And he said that, you know, the, the narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, but wide is the path that leads to destruction. So Philadelphia's kind of got this cool vibe going on there. And, and it, it's the town of brotherly love. The original Philadelphia was actually given the name because of, of this guy, Adelus, who cared for his older brother, Emmaus. Uh, 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 and, you know, they, they, had, they had this incredible brotherly love. But even in this city of Philadelphia, although it's known as the city of brotherly love, as we're going to see in just a minute, there's some conflict more within the city. Some of it getting its way into the church and some people were strong, but it, there were times they didn't act like, you know, 
Brotherly love, really? Like, even in, even in America, up in Pennsylvania, you know, Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. That's what the name means. But, you know, if you're into sports and you're an opposing team, most fans of opposing teams will tell you Philadelphia is their least favorite place to go because brotherly love is not exactly what they feel when they go there for a game to pick a sport. All right? So, you got all these different vibes that are going on here. And, and this town was just, it's interesting, this whole town, in fact, this whole region here, was destroyed many times by earthquake, but one major earthquake in AD 17. Guess what? Been watching the news about a week ago in Turkey. Now, it wasn't actually this part. It's actually a part of Turkey that's way over on that map would have been way over here. And that's what's on Turkey right now. And they're still finding people alive. And so, like, it's, it's interesting. Because <laughs> one of the things that Jesus says about the church at Philadelphia is to strengthen what remains. A place in the world that is regularly shook by earthquakes, Jesus said, what's, you know, strengthen what's still standing. Strengthen what remains, both physically and internally in the church as well. And, and so that's kind of the basis of the church. So here's what I want you to do. Get your Bibles out. Open up the book of Revelation chapter 3. We're going to go down. We're going to start about verse 6, 7. And, and I just want you to look at this church. Now that you know a little bit about the church, and I want you to think of it in the mindset of, of, of Rocky, of like overcoming all the odds to, to become victorious, to do all these things. And it begins with understanding a little bit and seeing because in every one these letters that John writes for Jesus, Jesus describes himself or tells John how to describe himself. But the descriptions that Jesus give him himself here are incredible. So let's look, let's look for a minute at who Jesus is, okay? Look at this first verse here. He starts off and he says this. He says, with this letter, write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of the king, uh, the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Look at the first thing Jesus says about himself. It's kind of interesting. He is holy. See this? Like you get the, okay, they may look pink out there. These are actually red. This is like red font. They're red letters. You all know what that means, right? Like this is from the dude himself. Jesus says, and as he's describing himself, this is from the one who is holy. Holy. Throughout all of Scripture, God is holy. He's described as holy. Jesus, before he's born, is even, or before he comes to earth, is, is described as holy. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 says this, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. The Holy One's asking the question. A, a few books over later in the Old Testament, there's another prophet, a minor prophet named Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 3, here's what he says. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praises. The Holy One, the Holy One. And Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, this is coming from the Holy One. It's interesting, not just... Not just Jesus, God, prophets, angels. Not just those people knew Jesus as the Holy One. Look what a demon says that's recorded for us in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes upon a demon-possessed man. And the demon-possessed man speaks first. Look what he says. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Wow! And so Jesus is recognized even by demons as the Holy One of God, but he wants to make sure when the church at Philadelphia, as with the other churches, when they hear from what John is writing, they want, he wants to make sure this isn't just something John sat down and, you know, kind of was bored on this island of Patmos and wrote to you. This is, I'm telling him to write you this stuff, right? And so he starts off in that first verse saying, hey, understand this. This is from the one who is holy. And look at the second thing he says about himself. He says, also, he, he says, this is from the one who is holy, and he also says, this is the one who is true. Who is true? There's a lot of the world that will tell you, and some of the world that will tell you tonight via commercials that have been paid for with millions of dollars, that there is no truth in our world other than the truth that you define for yourself. You have your truth, and I'll have my truth. Think that through. Think that through. As you were coming to church this morning, whatever direction you came from, as you were coming to church this morning, and you saw those lights hanging from wires that had three round balls on them, and if you choose to believe that truth is that when you see the red one pop up, you need to stop. That's your truth. But the guy coming the other way thinks that when he sees the green one, that means to stop, and the red one means go. We all know the yellow one means go very fast. We get that, all right? But truth is either truth or it's not truth, right? Truth that we think is truth that is not truth will get you killed, all right? Jesus wants to make sure this is coming from the one who is truth. The one who is behind everything. The one who cannot lie. He keeps his word. He's fully trustworthy at all times and in every way. Look at the next thing he says about himself. He's holy and he's true and he holds the key of David. What's he talking about there? What's he talking about there? Well, back in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 22, there's this evil palace administrator named Shebna. And God steps in to Shev and says, Shev, you're out. You're, you're out. You're, you're gone. I'm replacing you with Elikim and giving him, and this is what it says in Isaiah 22, I'm giving him the keys to the house of David, which was a reference to the keys to the kingdom of God, the keys to heaven. As you're making decisions in life about what you're going to do, about how you're going to live, about how you're going to talk, about how you're going to act, you better make sure you understand who has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And my suggestion would be follow that lead. Because it doesn't matter what other doors you get to go through here on earth. If you don't get to go through that door, you've lost. All right? And so he says, he says, this is the one who holds the key to the kingdom of heaven. And then look how he defines that even further. Look at those next two phrases. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. He's like, okay, it, it, I'm the one that, I've got the keys. And if I open that door, it doesn't matter who doesn't want you, it's going to be open for you. But if that door is closed, leave it alone. We get into trouble sometimes. When we come to closed doors and we don't think that maybe they've been closed by one who's looking out for our best, 
and, and, and instead of just waiting on the outside or going on to another door, we get in trouble when we try to do this. We come to a locked door and we'll get ourselves in big, big trouble trying to kick down a door that's locked. Listen, listen. If you come to my house and kick in my front door when it's locked, we're going to have problems. If I come to your house and kick in the front door that's locked, we're going to have problems, okay? See, this is what happens when we try to kick down doors that are locked. And Jesus says, sometimes that door that you thought you needed to go through, I've got it locked for a reason because there's something bad on the other side of that door that I'm trying to protect you from. This is the one who's writing you the letter, the one who is holy, the one who is true, the one who has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and the one who will either unlock or lock doors on your journey. Pastor David Jeremiah said this, this is an exciting and reassuring thing to know because it is God, the Holy Spirit, who prepares the hearts of men to receive the good news. And then this, sometimes we defeat our personal witness by plunging in unceremoniously through a closed door. It doesn't mean you have to just like agree, ignore, but be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. Be careful the demeanor and do, does the way that you enter a door reflect Christ? Is it a closed door for a reason or is it an open door that just needs somebody to turn the knob a little bit and go on inside? So let's look a little bit at what the church at Philadelphia had done, because that's what they were up against, okay? Look at verse 8. Look at how he starts off verse 8. Just once again, Jesus talking. He says, I know all the things that you do. I mean, forget the rest of the screen for a minute and think of it. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Philadelphia, but it's also Jesus speaking to you right now. I know all the things that you do. You may need to swallow hard. You may need to. I know all that you do. And then look, he says, he says, that your, I have opened a door for you so that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews, but are not to come and bow at your feet. Wow. I know everything's going on. Be sure of the things you do. Nothing's hidden from the Lord, good or bad. Good or bad. The things that you think you're doing in private, he knows. He sees. But this group of believers, he says, I know what you've been doing. I've seen it all. And I know that you have little strength. That you're up against a lot. That there is a lot of stuff going on in your world. And he said, I've watched that. In addition to everything else, in addition to everything else, this group is surrounded by evil. Jesus actually says that there's this synagogue of Satan and yet you all stood firm. It's actually the second time in these letters that Jesus mentions this Satan's synagogue. All right. It's, he actually talked about it to the church this morning. Here's what it is. It's a group of unbelieving Jews who are persecuting Christians. Now, think, think this, this group, this group of people are ones that had, uh, one time had the same dream. 
They were dreaming for a Messiah. But when the Messiah came and some chose to believe and to follow, this group said, "Uh uh-uh, that can't be him. And so they began persecuting the ones who saw him, saw what he did, lined everything up, and believed in Jesus. And so they're out there, and they're persecuting the church. (laughs) It's amazing how God works things out. These groups, the synagogue of Satan, they were present in the early church. So why would we be surprised when they show up at the Grammy Awards? They've been here for centuries. In fact, I would argue they have been here since about the third page of your Bible. Genesis 3, when sin entered the world. And there were those that chose not to believe. And so Sam Smith comes out dressed like Satan along with Kim Petra and they sing this song called Unholy at the Grammys and it's unbelievable, but yet... We forgot it's been going on since Genesis 3. Why should we be so shocked? And here, I'm going to blow your mind, Steve. That may not have been the most evil thing that happened at the Grammys last Sunday night. That was just the thing that was out in the open. What if Satan's just using that as a deploy, as a disguise? Because did you see what other actors or performers were wearing or not wearing, as the case may be? Did you listen to the lyrics of any of the other songs that were celebrated? With the exception of two or three, every song that was celebrated at the Grammys last week was just as evil as this, just in different ways. Just in different ways. Those other songs may not have been talking about worshiping Satan outright, but they were talking about sexual exploitation that is just as evil. They were talking about men killing men and gang stuff, and they were evil. But this looked bad. And so even Christians got all upset about this and watched the rest of the Grammys and didn't say a word. Remember some of the things, some of the words that we've talked about during this series so far? Compromise, tolerate. What if Satan's, you know, big ploy is, okay, I'll just throw this at them and they'll think this is the big one. And, and you know, there's a left hook coming. I'll put the jab out here, but there's a left hook coming and it will be the one that will knock them out if we're not careful. We think it's getting harder and harder to stand for the truth. And to live for Jesus, and it is. Oh my goodness, it is. It is. Some, some of the best years of my life were the years that started off here when I was the youth minister, and I got to hang out with teenagers and just see life change in them. And, and I pray for our youth ministers every day. I can't imagine being a youth minister. And, and you men and women that teach in our schools— I'm sorry. I can't imagine. I I can't believe the stuff that you guys got to put up with. I I, I can't believe that we live in a society that, you you know, you've you've got to like use weird pronouns. I'll just leave that there. That you've got to take signs off bathroom doors so as not to offend anybody. I'm sorry that you guys got to deal with that. 
and here's why I'm most sorry. You've got to deal with that because we compromised. Because the world compromised and wouldn't take a stand and is afraid to stand. And I know even saying this today, that when it hits the airways, some people be ticked off. Shoot, some of you may be ticked off. I promise you there's nothing I'm saying up here that's from Dave. God says, I will open the doors if you'll remain true to me. If you will remain true to me. And here's what Jesus said. He said, because to this letter, he said, you all stood strong and you obeyed my word. And obeying the words of Jesus has always been countercultural, guys. Obeying Jesus has always been countercultural. Here's what Jesus said. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. First, love God. Do what I ask. And then he said this. He said, but the world will know that you are my disciples as you love one another. But you love them with the love of Jesus. You love them with the love of God, not with the love of the world. Love God and love people with the love of God. Don't expect that to be any easier than Rocky Balboa defeating Apollo Creed to win a title. And then Jesus said this. He said, look, man. He said, you did not deny me. Look. You obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Remember Peter? Come on, Lord, let's go. Let's go. Bring them on. I got you. I got you. I will die for you. I will die for you tonight. Come on. Bring those soldiers on. Bring them on. I got you. I got you. No matter what. She said, Pete, would you shut up? What are you talking about die for me? You'll deny me three times tonight before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And suddenly the bounce in Peter's step kind of stopped. And sure enough, he did it. He denied him. Jesus is taken to the cross. He's killed. He's buried. He raises from the dead. And when he comes out of the grave and the women see him, one of the first things he says, go find my disciples and Peter. I need to see Peter. Now, in hearing that, some people, you know, you might, in first glance, read that and go, oh, Peter's going to get it. <laughs> and now, Jesus just restores him. And one of the most beautiful scenes in Scripture, there's a time toward the very last moments before he's going to go back and be the father that Peter and the other guys have been out fishing, and they come in, and, and Jesus has got breakfast for them on the beach. He's got it already fixed. And they come in and they start eating. And I just imagine Jesus kind of walking over to the side with Peter and going, We good? Do you love me? And Peter's first response is, Lord, you know I love you. You know, I'm just, the thing, I'm so, I'm so like, I know. And Jesus is like, All right, feed my sheep. Yeah, what? A few minutes go by. Maybe they've moved and Jesus comes. Peter, are we good? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Go feed my sheep. And then a little bit later in breakfast, toward the end, Jesus is with Peter again. Peter, do you love me? This time Peter, and he's, he's forgotten that his mouth gets him in trouble all the time. And like his first comeback is, Lord, you know I love you. 
And everything else we read about in Scripture, I know it was said that way, with an attitude. Lord, you know I love you. Okay. Don't just say it. Go out and show it. and Go out and take care of my sheep. Even the ones who denied him can follow him. And there are a lot of people in the world today, maybe some that are here this morning, who have denied Jesus. But if you really say that you love him, don't just say that. If you really love me, don't deny me, but feed my sheep. That's what God's telling you today. Don't, don't just put the bumper sticker on your car or get the tattoo on your shoulder or the wristband. Don't just do that. Feed my sheep. So let's finish this thing up and be done, okay? The last verses there tell us what Jesus promises to do because of what they have done, even though they're up against it all. Look at the last part of verse 9. It says, they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. The people, the, the, the ones from the synagogue of Satan that I'm going to put in their place, they will acknowledge that you guys are the ones I love because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Next one. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never and never have to leave it. Last slide. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches and to us and to us today there's some things there real quick I'm going to give you six things that Jesus promises to do that are in those verses the first one is this Jesus promises the church at Philadelphia and he promises us that he will open doors he will open doors for us to make a difference in the world he will start revival in places but then he will open the doors for people to go out and get out of the palace and hit the streets he'll open those doors He'll make those opportunities available. Second thing he promises to do, he says, I will love you. There are so many, I mean, you Google search God's love for you. There are so many different passages of Scripture in the Bible that talk about God's love for us. One of the ones that's hardest for me to comprehend, but yet is the most beautiful, is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. In Romans 5, 8, Paul's writing to the Roman church, and, and he's writing on behalf of what God says. And this is how God shows his love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If I were to write that or translate it, while we were still screwing up, Jesus died. Not when we got it right, not when we made everything right, not when we quit sinning, because if we could quit sinning on our own, Jesus wouldn't have had to die, right? But because we couldn't, and we still can't, and I got these people that all the time say, well, I got to get my life together. When I get my life together, I'm going to become a Christian. If you can get your life together without Jesus, you don't need Jesus. And God says this. Jesus tells John, tell him, I'll open the doors, and I'll always love them in spite of what they're having to deal with. The third thing he says is, I will protect them. I will protect them. That all through Scripture, God is a protector. 
God calls men to protect their wives and their family. And when, when Paul described the love that a man should have for his wife, he said that you would love your wife the same way that Christ died, loved the church and was willing to die for her. So ladies, let your dude protect you. And dudes, if you're not, step it up. It's part of what we're called to do is to be a protector because that's what God says he'll do. He'll protect you. He'll protect you. I love 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, He is faithful to strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. <laughs> I want somebody in front of me when I go face to face with Satan. I want somebody protecting me from the evil one. He says, I'll come to you. He says, I will come to you. That's one of the things I'm going to do. I'll love you, I'll protect you, and I'll come to you. In John chapter 14, Jesus is about to leave, and he's with the disciples, and, and they're worried, and they're fretting, and, and, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to go get one of them ready for you, and, and if I go to do that, then I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come back and bring you so that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I'm going to come for you. I, I'm not going to leave you out there. I, I, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be like the Marines. No man left behind. Let's go. I'll, I'll be there for you. And then he says, I'll honor you. Because if you see there, he said, I'll build a pillar for you, is what he actually says to the church. But what he's saying there is, I'll honor you. You know, these, these pillars, like even if you go to Philadelphia and all the earthquakes that they survived in the town that is there now under a different name and everything, but there are still columns that are there from that day that survived the earthquake, and they're kind of like statues, they're monuments of strength, and he says, I'll make you one of those. I'll, be, I'll make a pillar out of you. I will honor those who honor me, is what God said in Second Samuel chapter 2. And then finally, this is the best one. He says, I'll, I'll claim you. Did you catch that? We said, I'll put a new name on you, a name that no one can take away. What Jesus is saying is, just like a farmer, just like a rancher uh, kind of stamps his cattle, brands his cattle, says, I'm going to put a name on you that nobody can take away so that they will, everyone will know that you're mine. So that when you stand before the Father, like Jason talked to us last week, that when you stand before the Father someday in judgment, that you'll have the best advocate that you could possibly have. And Jesus will be standing there with you saying, Dad, this one's with me. This one's with me. But it's never easy. That's what we can learn from Philadelphia. There's some great love, but it's never easy. In the, in the very final Rocky movie, well, say final. The final so far... <laughs> He's old, but he's going to fight one more time against this dude named Mason Dixon. His nickname is The Lion. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but his son, Rocky's son, is now is a man now, and he thinks that Rocky is being ridiculous for doing this fight and that he's being made fun of and that people think Rocky's a joke and therefore they think he's a joke because Rocky's his dad. So they had this confrontation and there's this great scene uh, in, in, the, in that movie where, where they go out in the street and Rocky's talking to his young son. And here's what he says to him. I, I was going to try to do it in my Rocky voice, but that only lasts for about a phrase. So I'll just read it. He says, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. That's a great line. It, it's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you down to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. 
you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life hits. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out there and get what you're worth. But if you, but to do it, you've got to be willing to take the hits, not pointing fingers and saying that you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. You're better than that. And he finishes with this. He said, I'm always going to love you. You're my son. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a life. And Rocky turns and walks back into the restaurant. God says, I'm not going to leave you. But are you going to step up and get in the fight? The Old Testament, David, is at a turning point in 2 Samuel 24. It's at the very end there. He wants to build an altar to, to, to praise God. And this guy named Arna wants to give him the threshing floor as a gift to build an altar. In Second Samuel 24, verse 22, it says, Take it, my Lord and King. This is Arna speaking. He says, Use it as you wish. Arna said to David, Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and yoks oaks for wood to build a fire on the altar. And I will give it all to you, your majesty. May the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. That sounds really cool. Like here, this guy is like, Here, King, I'm going to make it happen for you. I'm going to help you out. But listen to what King David says in verse 24. He says, No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. What's your faith costing you? You overcoming? You standing firm in the midst of trials? You feel like the synagogue of Satan is in your backyard? He says, I'll be there with you. So the bottom line is straight back from the scripture. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. But understand this. To win in the future, you need to work hard in the present. And so our challenge is, hold on now, so we'll be able to hold up in the end. Would you guys stand up with me? Man, we've been seeing revival. People's lives have been changing. If you need to take a step of faith today, you don't even know what it is. While we sing this song, Jason, Brett, some of our staff will be over here. They'd love to talk to you. Go over and talk to them, pray with them, or just where you are, like just in your own way. Say, God, I'm ready. I, I, I'm ready. Open a door, and I'm going to go through those open doors, and, and, and there's going to be a breakthrough, and I'm going to be a part of it, and you're going to see revival happen. Let's worship together.
stop out the big orange wall. You can't miss it. It's the only thing orange in the building. Trust me. All right. It, it, out there, it's a big orange wall. It says, I'm new. Stop out there. Uh, we got a gift for you. We'd love to get to meet you. Guys, come on back at six o'clock tonight and hang out with a bunch of dudes, watch some football, eat some not good food for us and have a good time. The students go to the, go to the gym. It's going to be a blast. There'll be a couple hundred students there, middle school and high school students. And, but the biggest thing we need to do is Let's take revival from the palace and hit the streets. Let's love God. Let's love people. Let's watch him break through. Let's watch him break through. Let's watch him change the world. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, I know a breakthrough is coming by. 